Hello, and welcome back to Office Hours, a theater podcast. My name is Michael, and I am joined, as always, by Aries. Hey. And Josh. Hey, everybody. This week, we are actually going to be talking about a Fringe Festival tour that we had planned for pretty much an entire year, starting back in, I believe it was September, that sadly got derailed, of course, just like everything else because of COVID. But it was a very big part of our lives for many, many months. It was essentially the only thing that we did when we met, the only thing that we thought about either planning the festival itself or after we had gotten most of it planned, then uh, shifting to work on the show we were writing for the festival, which we'll talk about in another podcast episode. And so essentially what we want to do here is we'll just go through, talk about how the idea came about, what made us look towards French festivals, that entire process, uh, a pretty long process of, of looking through all of the French festivals to offer, because there are many, 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 if you want to look into them yourself. I'm sure plenty of people are familiar living in an area with a French festival. And we'll just talk about our experience, what we took away from it. And I don't know, maybe if that's something that you're interested in. Uh, we'll give you enough information to start your own French festival tour if you want to do a tour, or maybe just looking into one or two, if that's more what you're looking for. Uh, and so jumping straight into it, I guess we want to talk about where the concept came from. And really, I, I think we're looking towards you, Josh, because you were really the person pushing for the first thing that we as a company would do outside of college to be looking into this idea of going on a tour despite all of the things that people would assume would go against a young small company trying to tour a show essentially across the u.s obviously across the u.s it's not super realistic but it wasn't something we were counting out either we weren't just saying let's just pick this one part of the world we're like "Eh, wherever we end up going (laughs) we end up going and we'll try for anything so uh, i don't know just launch us into what you were thinking and what your idea was and then we can go from there One of the things that we were talking about as far as what are the next steps that we can take, we decided that we want to form a theater company, see if we can make that happen. There were a lot of things that made sense for us to be able to create together. But one of the big decisions that you have to make is, well, where do you want to start a theater company? From the incorporation process to everything else, even grant writing, it's really important to be able to figure out where are you going to be? Where can you settle down? Where can you start looking at what services are available? And I think One of the things that I started to think about was what are ways that we can test the waters in a bunch of different places? Because at that time, I know I was really fixated on, do we want to go to a place that doesn't have any theater, where it doesn't exist, where we can be in that environment working with the community to introduce it to that area? Do we want to be in a place where it is already really established and we have lots of competition, but possibly lots of opportunity for collaboration? Do we want to be in an area that has really great access to cheap resources, which as a designer is something that I'm certainly excited about. Or do we want to be in a place where we could create some of those avenues for other companies to be able to have resources, which would also be beneficial. So there's so many different questions going around. And I think I brought to you guys the idea that, well, what if we did in a span of, it was like two or three years, what if we did a tour where we hit every single state? 
to do 50 shows within a couple of years. It was a crazy, crazy process, but there's something where we would be able to have an opportunity to develop a lot of relationships and meet a lot of people and be able to discover throughout the process where we were at with it. And it, it was the type of thing that now looking back almost <laughs> seems a bit laughable, but you know, <laughs> there was an element to which one of the things that we then started to get into as we were starting to look at it as a real possibility was, okay, what if we start with manageable chunks? And so we started to look at what if we possibly look at just starting with the East Coast? Do we maybe look at the states in alphabetical order? Do we look at the dates in which they were ratified to the union? How do we have the tour be something that also is applicable to the art? And that's when we started actually discovering a little bit more about what the topic of the show, I think, might be focused on. And there was so much about who are the audiences that we're going to encounter. And a lot of the topic then shifted towards a lot of the things that we were internally discussing, which was really about America and certainly what's going on in the social, political, and cultural world. So in that regard, figuring out, maybe going along with it, hitting each state can also have some artistic merit based on where we choose. But ultimately, one of our professors actually reminded me that there's a lot of people who offer to bring their shows to Ohio Wesleyan, where we're at. And he told me about one individual who basically starts all of his new shows at fringe festivals. And of course, I had known about fringe festivals to some extent, but we started looking into them. And then, Michael, at that point, you really took up the reins in doing tons of research and finding out about CAF and discovering that there not only were a lot of fringe festivals, but certainly some that were more prominent than others. And I think that's really where things then started to become real is when we figured out this could be a good place to showcase our first show and be able to achieve some of the goals that we had initially set out. What were some of the things that you were looking for when you started finding out about fringe festivals? When I jumped into the fringe festivals and finding fringe festivals, I mean, I think the thing that was most attractive about them was how much less work I would have to do or that we would have to do as a group. Because before we were looking at French festivals, we were just looking state by state. I mean, I had I had dots of performing arts centers and oh, yeah. uh, I was looking into, I was researching, you know, there was a musician who planned his own tour by himself as a solo artist. And he went to a lot of bars and I was looking at how he sold his performances. And the idea of coming out to these non-traditional venues and essentially just promising that you can sell some tickets or sell some yeah. seats. We had talked about schools, too. Yeah, we talked about schools as well, especially as a place to build an audience in a state where you had never been to before, as well as connect. I mean, I felt like we had something worth talking about, even if you say, here are these people who are trying to build a theater company almost uh, directly out of college. Yeah. And then, yeah, just doing this weird thing. I mean... It, the the hope was that the tour could sell itself to some degree where you could just say it's weird enough or interesting enough that these people would even try this outrageous outlandish thing and that you could use that to get our foot in the door and then get people to want to talk to us and get people to be willing to take a chance on us without any other notoriety really because we didn't have anything outside of the connections we had made at college so that was kind of the hope and the selling point but with french festivals you, I mean, certainly you still need that. You still have to build an audience, get people to actually come see your show. But for certain French festivals, you don't need that in order to get a venue. Excuse me. They will simply provide you with one. And so that was one of the reasons why I was super into just researching a bunch of them, because it just made the process seem so much more simple. 
uh, it was so much easier and there was so much less to do and less to worry about because that's a lot of stress. I mean, that would have been quite a bit of work to essentially try and go and, and sell ourselves venue by venue and make promises that we could, you know, we'll get 50 people to come, I promise, and just give us some of the money, yeah. right? Or who knows how much we might be willing to go down just so someone would accept us and allow us in the doors. But for a lot of the French festivals, especially CAF festivals and what CAF is, it's the Canadian Association of French Festivals. And one of their requirements for people who want to host a French festival and be a part of their organization is that the artist gets, it's either a majority of the money from the ticket sales, if not all of the money from the ticket sales. So maybe that you need all of the money. And so again, it's that kind of negotiation aspect that would have been very, very difficult that could in a way be solved for us by trying to go through these more established organizations who are already doing exactly what we wanted to do and would help us out quite a bit. Well, and we did consider some of those established organizations. Like I know we had talked about for quite a while, fiscal agency, which those of you who don't know what that's about, that is something that is a great way to get started if you are looking to be active in the nonprofit world, particularly in the arts nonprofit world. There's organizations that can be fiscal agents for you, but you can also talk to your local nonprofit, develop a relationship with them, and negotiate with them to be some sort of fiscal sponsor. So I know we had looked at that a little bit, and we had also looked at something that ha I don't know if it happens as much in the modern day, but there's an older thing that I heard about where a lot of theaters typically have lights off on Monday nights. On Monday nights, theaters who especially were in production typically were running schedules that leaves the Monday night slot free. And there are a lot of artists who over the years have been able to talk to theater companies and say, hey, look, you're not using the space. I know your set is in the space, but can we have it to do a cabaret? Can we have to do some sort of improv show? And there's lots of things that have gotten off the ground because that dark day was an opportunity for people to have access to a venue that they might not normally be able to. And most theaters want, if their space is going to be there, want it to be used, want it to be something that is continuing to invest itself in the creation of new art. And so that was something that, again, would take a lot of negotiation, but that was another thing that had come to mind as far as thinking about if we were to connect two established venues. But it is a lot of hassle, and it also, I think, limited us a bit in the types of things that we would be able to accomplish with especially technical things. Going into somebody else's venue on a Monday night, you're not going to be able to do any sort of custom lighting setup. You're not going to be able to convert the technical facility to your needs in a way that with a fringe festival, you also don't necessarily have as much flexibility, but you've got a little bit more in that you can, ahead of time, if you've got needs, you can discuss those with the venue. But you're also preparing to bring a lot of your own equipment and set it up in such a way that you can set up in 15 minutes and tear down in 15 minutes, which was the turnaround time that most of the venues that we applied to listed. After hearing about French festivals, seeing their clear benefits uh, to me in terms of lowering the workload, I essentially just went through, Googled French festivals and wrote down as much info as I could about as many as I could, and then came back to Aries and Josh during one of our company meetings. And essentially we just went to work, breaking down that list, deciding what festivals did or didn't sound good to us so that we could select just a few, well, just a few. I think we had like 
13, 14, 15, who knows how many, uh, probably up to like 20 or so, but to, to select the ones that would best benefit us and the needs that we had. And there were a lot of things that went into that. Uh, one of the biggest ones was the idea of a fringe festival that you really had to apply to and submit a show to where they would pick their favorite proposals and their favorite shows versus lottery festivals, which is what we tried to stick to. The reason for that, of course, is because we were writing our own show that at the time wasn't finished yet. So that was already a giant boon for us because essentially we could ask someone to give us their space with no real reality that we had anything to show them, just the promise that we should by the time that the show goes up. And the fact that we didn't have to actually show anything until the time that the show would have to go up, of course, was a huge benefit. So often we cut out those festivals where you would actually have to submit a finished show simply because we didn't have one and highlighted those lottery festivals that would essentially pick names out of a hat and whoever got in, got in were festivals that we trended towards. What other things were we looking for? I know it's been months since we went through and did that, but I mean, we had plenty of reasons to cut places. Sometimes it was, as we talked about money, if you look into doing a French festival tour, you're going to lose hundreds of dollars, just application fees, just for the chance that someone's going to pick your French festival. You'll probably, you'll probably pay like 25 to 50 was 50, like the highest we paid for an application fee. Yeah. Yeah. 50 might've been the highest that we paid. But again, as we said, we applied to like 13 or so shows. So that's already a a few hundred dollars before ever getting accepted anywhere, Mm -hmm. right? Before you get accepted to a place and then you have to pay them 500 or 600 more dollars, uh, of course, for the space. Well, yeah. So I guess we can talk a little bit about finances, which certainly was a big upfront thing that we did have to consider. And we started to consider it in phases. I would definitely recommend if anybody is looking at doing fringe festivals, whether it is a tour or just a singular show, I would suggest they create a similar document to the way that we did it. We we ended up throughout this process actually creating several large documents that just had swaths of information that we could sort through. The first document did have the first two financial pieces, which were the application fee and then the performance fee. Some of the venues had a free application. There were very few of them that had a free application, but the performance fee really ranged from $100 to $600 with the ones that we were looking at for our lottery applications. Mm -hmm. And it looked like there was different things that went into it. There's different Mm -hmm. sizes of venues with different numbers of seats. Mm -hmm. Also, there's different costs based on how many nights that you want to perform your show. And then there are other things that different venues require, whether or not they have some sort of an insurance fee or whether or not you need to have your own liability insurance, which is also different if you are an independent artist or if you are a formally organized group, uh, whether it's a partnership, a nonprofit, what have you. For us, it ended up actually being more advantageous for us to operate as an independent artist group. In some ways, we're able to be a legally organized partnership, but operate still as independent artists for this. But specifically, some of the festivals that we were applying to in Canada, one of which we did get into, would have required us to pay some additional fees for insurance if we were an organized entity versus as independent artists, it would be covered by our performance fee. But then the other leg of the finances that we looked into a little bit later were the travel expenses. So because we were looking at it as a tour, not only did we have to think about how we might get from one place to another, we also had to think of, well, 
if we're going to stay in this place, we're going to need food, we're going to need some sort of lodging. And so we started to think of and calculate a lot of those costs. Gas costs was something that we factored into it. So we basically wrote down data of how far away is each place, how many miles, how, doing kind of a rough calculation of gas, numbers of days that we could be there. And that really had to do with well, when we could schedule our tech time, how can we strategically plan that out? And so all of that, I think, was extremely helpful. And we did it just in an Excel document, which allowed us to clear out rows as we either got accepted or didn't get accepted to different festivals. And then we could figure out if we're in this region of the world, what does it mean for us to stay in this place versus move on to, to a different location? Uh, and, and how will that impact the finances? So that was something that was really, really helpful. And then Aries, you had made a calendar tracker as well that looked at when each of the applications were due and then when we would hear back. That was another document that I think was really helpful and something that guided us through that early application process. What mm -hmm. all was in that? Uh, all the important dates regarding the French festival. So we started with just like a production schedule. You start backwards. So you start at the end. So we started with, well, I started looking at when they actually performed. And a lot of the French festivals happened at the same time. All the ones that we were applying to or interested in, we couldn't do every single one of them because a lot of them overlapped. So it was figuring out, okay, here's kind of an early on idea of what the bracket turned into later on, which is here, like, here are the festivals we have at these times when they perform and then looking at all, oh, this is when we should be notified. This is when the money is due. So a lot of them, as we recognized, some required the production fee the day you got accepted and others you could get accepted, you could accept, and then maybe a week or a month um, or even two months later, you wouldn't have to pay the production fee. So that also played into our decisions on which ones we were going to go to and not go to. Just big decisions for us to make, yeah. Oh, and then you mentioned the bracket too. The bracket was one of the ways that we were making some of the last decisions. Because at that point, when we made the bracket, we had gotten into... We had gotten into two. And I think we were waiting to hear back from like three or four more. Right, right. And... I know some of those did overlap a little bit in time, whether it was tech time or, or performance time. And so we ended up creating a bit of like a, a bracket that you would for like March Madness and seeing, okay, if, if we get into this one, that means we possibly can't do this one. And it allowed us to look at what are our own priorities as far as places that we're more interested in, which it was a little bit of a crapshoot. I mean, one of the big things that we started looking at was what we could find online. Googling, seeing what we can see of the different venues, and also seeing how the community seems to respond to a lot of the fringe festivals. Because there's some that are more legacy festivals that have a long-term reputation, and then others were newer. And the other thing too that we considered as well, and that I think was even in Michael, your, your very earliest document, was the rate of return. So we had been thinking, okay, we're going to raise a certain amount of money, which we were able to put together a lot of our own funds once we started uh, looking at how much are we going to put towards application fees and performance fees and whatnot. And we were basically looking at expenses versus what we could have as some sort of revenue. And revenue, we, we understood, could be generated from ticket sales. And as you mentioned with some of the CAF stuff, Pretty early on, we knew a general percentage of how much the venue would take versus what was returned to the artist from ticket sales. And it really varied from 
them giving 100% back to, to some places would take a really significant chunk. And that also made a big difference, especially when we factored in some of the travel stuff, because there were some places where even if the performance fee maybe wasn't high and the application fee wasn't all that high, it, it might be almost a thousand dollars to, to just travel somewhere and stay and eat and survive. And we could barely make a, back a fraction of that in ticket sales. So we ended up being able to weigh the pros and cons of each different area based on some of those things. I know when we were deciding one of the places that we had applied, I had an artistic director who I had worked with before who had been able to go to that same festival. And he was actually incredibly helpful in talking to us a little bit about the fact that a good way to handle it is really to imagine that you're not going to make anything back. Make sure that your finances are such that going into it, you are not expecting to get a certain amount of the ticket sales out, but rather make sure that you can cover your expenses going into it. And that was an interesting piece of advice that he gave because in their experience, he felt like they had brought a show that was of considerably better quality than some of the others that were performing at that Fringe Festival. But because they were not local to the area and didn't have enough time to go and market, word of mouth didn't actually spread fast enough to fill their houses each night. And that was something that because we were very much out of towners, we had certainly been thinking about, okay, in a sense, our story is intriguing. But it was still a bit of a chance thing to see whether or not we can do our part on social media marketing and doing some guerrilla marketing ahead of the festivals, whether or not we would be able to generate the audiences and viewership that would be needed to find that return for ticket sales. And really, I think it came a bit to some of the values that we have. Being able to connect with people that was really one of the big things that we were emphasizing on the tour it was partly an opportunity to showcase what we're capable of and be able to generate contacts and connect with people along the way. And so we didn't necessarily need to make money on it, but we wanted to make sure that we could close to break even rather than ending up in a considerable amount of debt and not being able to transition into what the next project for us was going to be. I guess we should probably talk a little bit about what the application process was like. What were the types of things that across the board were asked for? Because there were like little differences between the different applications, but there was quite a bit of it was pretty consistent. So, I mean, if it was jury, they'd have more stipulations and more things, more requirements for what they would want to see. So either five page excerpt or 10 page excerpt and a full concept of how you would stage it for this one, depending on how involved the application was. So some of the applications were, it was a page that you would print off, fill out and then send back as a PDF or mail in. Some were like an online form. The, those that were online forms obviously wanted more information, but I guess standardly they want to know the name of the artist that they could get in contact to. So like the main person, the main point of contact, they want to know the name of the company or who's producing it. If it's a one person show, or if it's a company, they want to know a potential name of the production. And I guess what venue? Well, some of them didn't give venue options. So some of them, Oh, right. Some, there were venue options, but some, it was just, you're just, as of now, you're just applying. Those are the standard things. And like, obviously contact information, so like a number and an email. Based on applications, they would ask your audience market, 
So like, who are you gearing this towards? So is it family friendly? So a lot of times the French festivals would have certain shows or certain matinee performances geared towards families and friends. So that was always a thing. It was like, is this a family friendly show? Like we're not, we're not, maybe even if we're not marketing it towards kids, could it be a show that we could do for kids for a special? So kind of to increase our chances. And they would ask how many seats we would want, how many people we would hopefully. So if it was like a small venue or medium sized venue or a large venue, and then of course, all of those changed based on the place we would apply. So if some places, a small venue seats 50 to 60 people, whereas like some medium venues in other places seats 50 to 60, whereas a small venue might seat 20 to 30. And then of course, the larger the venue, the more you would have to pay in production fees once you were accepted. They would always ask about your production. So the name of the production, and then they would want to know how to categorize it so they could publicize it. So they want to know, is it comedy? Is it a drama? Is it performance art? Is it sketch? Is it more storytelling? Is it a devised piece? Those were, I guess, yeah, the big main things. So even if it, since it wasn't juried and we're not submitting a sample, they would try to parse out as much information as possible for categorizing. So that if you do get accepted, they know, okay, you can go over here, you can go over here so they can plan the big festival. Because, I mean, we were going to ones that had over like 150 people performing, 150 Mm -hmm. groups, not necessarily not individual people. Mm -hmm. I know there were some where we were allowed to pick our own ticket prices. Was Was that ever part of the application process? Or no, I don't remember. For some, yeah, but not a lot. I think it was... I specifically think, I think one of the first ones we looked at definitely asked us like what we want to do for a ticket price. Mm-hmm. And how, yeah, how do we go about that? Because when you're picking ticket price, I feel like that's just like the, uh, when you're applying for a job and they're like, how much should we pay you? Yeah. So you're kind of like, all right, well, what do I say? That's not going to be so much that they're going to be like appalled, but so little or so little that we're not making any money. So I know we had a couple different discussions about what is a ticket price that would be attractive to patrons. It's, it's always kind of weird just because I, I mean, I never went to theater shows through high school and then in college, you just flashed your ID and got in. So I never really knew what was a good ticket price to offer because I just didn't really have any experience with that. I see sometimes people promote their high school shows and it's like 15 for an adult. And I'm like, who shows up to this? No offense to anyone's high school show. <laughs> but I'm like, I couldn't imagine paying $15. I don't know if I'd pay $15 for the productions we made. That's just a lot of money. <laughs> so y'all, I don't know. Y'all love the arts. That's all I'm saying. And we respect you and we love you for that. But yeah, so I, I never really knew. So I don't know what went into you guys' thought process or your thought process when you're thinking about, well, what's a good price that will be attractive? I have a hard time looking at art as a commodity. And I think that was the biggest struggle in thinking really of the finances of this whole project, because I ended up feeling like I fixated more on that than felt necessary. And I think that was partly because it was really a time where whether it was travel or even just the fact that there were lots of fees to enter, apply and perform, it it was so clear that the process was driven by monetary value. And so it was It was hard to intellectually get away from that. And so I was really looking at numbers from the context of how can we get to a place with the fees that we're going to incur, basically looking what is the lowest common denominator we can get to. And I know typically most of the festivals would give like a minimum 
ticket price that was consistent from all their shows. And that had a pretty wide range too. There were some places that had minimum of two to $3. Most of them had minimums of between five to $10. And then there was even one venue that we did get into that, that had a minimum of $12 per ticket. It was clear with the number of shows that would be going on at the same time, really in lots of these different venues in these different places around the country in the US and Canada, that our ticket price was one of the things that would sell the show to an audience member. So even though we provided a name, even though we provided a statement about what the show would be that was going to be part of the marketing, it was clear that a lot of people would probably decide on what's the set of shows that they're going to see based on whether or not they can afford that range of tickets in all of the shows that they're going to. I think one of the great things about fringe festivals is people go into it with a very open mind, not necessarily saying, okay, I'm just going to go and watch one show. No, people want to go and consume a number of things with the hope that the more I go and see, the more likely it is that I'll, I'll find something that is of quality uh, or that I like. And it felt weird to me that the money part of it was one of the top three things that we had to think about. And so I was definitely focused on keeping the number of the ticket price down so that it would be more attractive to an audience to take that chance and show up. Mm -hmm. Same thing, Aries? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that makes sense, especially being from, again, out of state. It's like you don't have the support necessary to expect someone to go for those higher ticket prices. Yeah. It's definitely what it always felt like or what always was the worry, but then you have to sometimes play it back with how does the uh, organizer get. And so for some venues, they get 10, 20% of the ticket sale or some percentage of the money from the ticket sale. And so sometimes you have to raise your price yeah. to get back to what whatever your true lowest price is, even if you're like, yeah, I'd love to do 10. Well, if we actually want all 10 of those dollars, maybe you have to go to 12. And so just another thing to, to think about, especially if you're like us, especially if you were like us fresh out. I think that was a bit of a culture shock coming from a place where it was just like, I don't know, get the, get the position, right? Get the design job or, or role, get the crew head position, have the professors tell you that you can direct or whatever. And then they'll give you the budget and you go from there versus having to scrounge up our own money and play with that and deal with balancing the idea of how much are we going to spend versus how much do we need to transition into whatever the next project would be, whether we would have another tour, which I don't know. The closer we got to the end of the tour, it seemed less likely that we would be interested in touring uh, again so soon afterwards. But of course, we, we never really got to figure that out because we never got to get to the actual touring and performing part of the tour. So that's still coming up in the air. Maybe we would have loved it. Or maybe we would have needed our, our break and would prefer to settle down somewhere and worked with a local community to put on some show. I'm definitely upset that we didn't get the chance to. Well, not not upset, but... I, mm -hmm. I think, I think yeah. and I think part of that is like mixed up in feelings of it could have been a great opportunity, but mm -hmm. I think the bigger thing was every single part of this project we approached with a mentality of this is a new thing and we're going to learn from it. And I think that being a part of what we were thinking about to have everything shut down with COVID and not get the opportunity to actually experience it 
and learn the final piece to all of the other learning that we had done in discovering what fringe festivals were about and how you might navigate planning some sort of a tour did feel a little bit unfulfilling. And that was definitely mm-hmm. hard to deal with. Yeah, so let's let's jump right into it. How did people feel? It certainly was a mixed bag, because obviously safety-wise, I prefer everyone be safe, especially myself. Uh, especially myself. So I definitely, from a safety aspect, you know, prefer it than to have tried to work through a pandemic and tried to put up these French festivals otherwise. And I think to some degree the pandemic helped. Because, I mean, there was a long time where we just weren't getting any. I think we got denied from seven or eight or nine or ten straight before we ever got an acceptance. And while I, I always look for things that can, like, temper that kind of disappointment. And I think uh, the fact that we pretty much only apply to lottery festivals really helped because, at, I mean, at that point, it's just like, what are you going to do? They picked the name out of the hat and it wasn't you. It's different, I feel like, from, like, doing a juried festival and submitting your show, that would feel more like a rejection. Yeah. I feel like 10, I feel like 10 of those rejections would feel worse. Not that they would actually be worse because at the end of the day, while there is a degree of merit that goes into it, I mean, people are going to pick what's best for them. If anyone does a juried festival for, or even for us, if we ever go to a juried festival, I mean, people still pick what's best for them or what they like best. So it's not like every time you don't get into something that's juried or every time you don't win a contest it's a reflection of your ability or whether or not you created a good piece of art because people can often just pick what they like the best or what moves them the most and that has nothing to do with whether or not you create good art but i think with lottery it was somewhat easier to let go of the fact that oh we didn't get into the sixth or the seventh one because it's just like you had bad luck that day mm-hmm. and i feel like the, kind of the same thing with covid where it's like at least the lack of choice kind of softens the blow a little bit versus if we just couldn't scrounge up the money to do the traveling or if some other crazy thing happened, something more in our control happened, like we thought we budgeted uh, enough money and we didn't or something like that. It was just a little easier to digest that way. But yeah, obviously it, it sucks to work for months and again, months. I mean, with festivals that we had gotten into, I think they would have started when in June or July or something like that. So from September to about June, we had been not only looking into and applying to these festivals, but writing a show from scratch. And so, yeah, or it felt like a lot of lost time potentially. So thankfully we can turn it into at least a little bit of content with these podcast episodes. But yeah, <laughs> but I don't know. It was difficult. We were rejected from more than we got into, obviously, but we got into... We got into three, and then there were two that we removed off the wait list from, but we declined. Okay. And I'm sure those were like time constraints or things like that, or just money constraints. Time and and money. Time, money. Like, one was really far away, and so we were like, oh, so like... Well, we didn't get in. I think we didn't. We got waitlisted first. And it was like okay, and then they offered us it, and it was just like the amount of money that we would need to have in the short amount of time to secure a spot was way too much. And then it was like one of our most expensive ones. We would have, we would not have gained any money. We would have lost, I think, more money than what we paid in the production fee. That was one of the big ones that we struggled with: just high travel cost because the time from their tech to the performance. And even 
doing multiple performances, which means longer lodging in the area and more food that we have to eat each day, meant that there was just a much heftier cost. And the other thing that we had to consider as well is it's not just a one-way trip. When you're thinking about how much travel is going to cost, it's a two-way thing. And that was something that we had to start to factor into. Is this going to be something that's manageable? And logistically, that one that one didn't make as much sense. And, and we ended up saying no to it. Which I think when you're making that decision, especially after you had been rejected into so many, it feels weird because it's like, okay, well, we did get off the wait list. It's a strange feeling to then get around to discussing it further and then deciding to ultimately turn it down even after coming off the wait list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that, that comes from the that transition from like when we first started where, you know, maybe we would have said, we'll do seven or eight of these or 10 of these or whatever. And then just the reality of all of their costs, mm-hmm. yeah, it kind of changes things, their cost and the time and all of those things. But yeah, but yeah, but uh, Aries, how did, how did you feel once the uh, cancellations came and they, and they came staggered, right? It wasn't like all, all at once. Yeah. There was that sense of also, oh, yeah. this one got canceled and, Oh, this one, and then now we're waiting on another one. I think one got canceled in like July, very far after. But I don't know. How'd you feel? Yeah. The the big thing I was worried about was the money. So the ones that we had gotten into, we had paid the production fee, which Josh had mentioned. And so I think one was one was close to four hundred. The other we were in total had paid close to nine hundred. But a lot of the French festivals have what they're called force majeure clauses, which are acts of God. So if something like, oh, a pandemic or a natural disaster or, I don't know, governmental control, something crazy that is basically the French festival is not liable for, but you also as the artist is not liable for, which means that they're allowed to not give you your money back. So I was really worried. It was like, okay. So once all the pandemic stuff was happening, we were finding out that ones that we didn't get into were closing and canceling, but we still had not heard from the ones that we had gotten into whether or not we would be refunded our money, put a lot of money into it. Um, Thankfully, both of them did because they were viewing it from the aspect that, you know, we're artists too, but also we know what it's like to be an artist and we want, we're not trying to, like artists are already disadvantaged during this time anyway and are going to be like at at by that time like broadway had completely shut down and so they were like we're giving all everyone their money back which was great for us i think that was the big thing i definitely was bummed that we didn't get to do it because i had i think finally come i was definitely i think throughout the entire process the dissenting voice and so like by the time that i had finally kind of come on board of being like okay we can actually do this because it actually kind of was starting to feel real it kind of got shut down and so i was like great but but it's also i think like just trying to be positive and so i mean it happens for a reason um and i would much rather people be safe than not um and we also could have i mean we could have lost much more money like to, like just imagine if this thing would have happened when we had driven that way like if like if this was happening months later like if it had just started kind of hitting around this time where we would have been in Canada or been somewhere else. And it's like, oh, we're shutting the festival down. Everybody goes home with no chance of refunding money, no chance, you know, or even trying to get back in the States at this time. Mm-hmm. So just trying to look at the positive and be positive about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And thankfully, a lot of those festivals were determined to either do something online or give people a space in the next festival. So it didn't necessarily feel like a complete loss yeah. as much as a postponement. Yeah, no, they were they were trying their best to be as innovative and creative as possible and to still give people the platform and the space to do art, which um, I respected and which I thought was really cool and really good. For us, unfortunately, it just didn't work out um, just because it was it's difficult enough. If we were all in the same space, I think we could have done it, like done a remote production and done something virtual. But with us all being remote and the time frame and everything else that was going on. So like Josh was completely uprooted from campus and had to be sent home. And it was like there were just so many things that were just like, like we're just we're still trying to figure out our own personal stuff, mm-hmm. let alone trying to adapt something that's not completely finished mm-hmm. to a medium and a platform that is also so uncertain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it wasn't done. It wasn't done. <laughs> I mean, the play was not done. So to some degree, I mean, we had enough stress. We'll talk about it whenever the, the episode for that happens. But I mean, there was enough stress without there being a festival around the corner or a date at the door. And so for us to make the vast amount of changes that we needed to make with a looming performance that would have been crazy especially in a situation again a pandemic where it's like we couldn't get to perform we were supposed to be in ohio i was supposed to be up in ohio by then by may or wherever so we could start all right actually putting it up and practicing and uh rehearsing Mm -hmm. and things of that nature and so we would have had to somehow do that online and then get together with enough time to practice it and then travel or travel and practice whatever that would look like there were, there were plenty of difficulties that or that came with the pandemic already with a lot of the technical stuff too it's i mean we had mentioned earlier that most of the shows we had to load in and load out in about 15 minutes the advanced technical stuff that we wanted to incorporate into the show wasn't going to be possible without expensive equipment. And so what I was looking at basically doing was building a lot of the equipment that we would need that we could bring in, would plug in and basically be ready to go. And I was working at programming a remote button that would allow us from on stage to be able to not only cue our own lighting cues, but also be able to remotely cue QLab, which would just plug into the sound system and go. And that was something that I was hoping I was going to be able to have the rest of the semester up at school and access to the school's shop to be able to at least have a place where I can safely solder or weld or 3D print or do whatever I needed to do that wasn't (laughs) in my dorm room. After the pandemic got shut down, that wasn't quite as easy because now here at home, I mean, there's I still had some space in the garage where I can do some of that types of stuff, but the time frame was just incredibly interrupted. Just plans changed. Uh, yeah, as for everyone, I mean, the entire world, at least the, mainly the states, as from our perspective, but everything sort of stopped, you know, March, what, 13th. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Obviously, this being our biggest problem, we lucked out. Because <laughs> yeah, yes. people have bigger and, and worse <laughs> things to deal with. But I mean, yeah. it's just. We're still alive. We're not dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thankfully, and hopefully in the future, we'll keep it that way. But this still had an impact on us and it's still, it'll be something that shaped us. It wasn't how we thought the festival tour would come to an end. 
for this uh, chapter, or at least we come to a pause, I guess. Technically, we still have the possibility. Uh, well, in the coming time, if the pandemic ever decides to go on vacation, take a nap, <laughs> you know what I mean? If it gets bored, leaves, I don't know. We might have a chance in the future. But for now, we're on a, a pretty long pause. A little bit anticlimactic for a multi-month project with so much hype around it and such high possibilities, but it is what it is. So I guess to end, I mean, how do you guys feel about this process? I mean, this is still a, a part of our learning, a part of our growth as artists. So just looking back from where you started with how you felt about the tour, where you ended, what you learned, how you felt, you know, they ought to, I guess, I don't know. What do you think and how you feeling? I feel very fortunate to have had the intimate experience of starting to go through this process. This was a part of the theater industry that I didn't intimately understand. I had been hired on as a technician and designer for a number of different fringe festival shows, but all the all the lens that I had been able to work through was from a, a production perspective. And so looking at it from more of the artistic direction standpoint, and then also the logistics standpoint. I got a new appreciation for what the Fringe Festivals do for independent artists. And I think it gave us a bit of a lens to think about what things can be improved with these types of platforms for art. And I'm thankful that that we learned as much as we did. I think it's a great learning opportunity. Um, also just figuring out if it's something if this platform and if that medium is something for you. And so always looking at everything as a place to expand and grow and learn from it. Yeah. Yeah. It's especially underrated. I think figuring out what you don't like, I feel like typically you do something and you hate it and there can sometimes be negative connotations about that. But I think, well, anything that will help you get a greater understanding of yourself and what you do and don't enjoy uh, is beneficial to you because it helps you to identify the areas where you are truly passionate about what you're doing and put yourself in a situation where you exist in those areas and, and in those areas alone. Not to say that you can't branch out, but I think once you figure out that something truly, truly isn't for you, not that it's difficult, but that it is not enjoyable, I think it is fine to focus on the things that you do like. And I think we definitely figured that out, especially when it came to the show itself, not just the tour. But when it came to working with the show itself as people who wouldn't, who wouldn't dub themselves as writers writing the show all together at the same time, we learned quite a lot about ourselves in that process and, and what we like and we don't like. And We have the opportunity to amend our process moving forward. Exactly. I guess just to quickly jump down how I felt about it coming into the process. I think I just wanted us to do something because for a while it was just like, we're going to tour, but what are we going to tour? And when are we going to tour? So my, my whole thing when we first met was just like, let's hammer something out and then let's do it. And certainly we did it and getting to the end. Yeah. I'm not so sure I can wrap it up because it did not officially wrap itself up. Um, I don't know how I feel about the actual act of touring, because sadly we haven't gotten to that part yet. Hopefully we will in the future if we still want to. But I think when it comes to the planning of such a long project, it wasn't easy. I could say I enjoyed it and it was interesting. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't perfect. We can't really go back and go through every single meeting, you know, everything that we talked about 
Uh, I'm sure we missed some things. We never really figured out how we would have transitioned out of the tour and into going to some kind of physical place. Because, of course, with COVID, the need to think about that kind of left. We're not a physical place. We're all separated, a deconstructed theater company, if you will. But yeah, overall, enjoyable. Thumbs up. Yeah, 8 out of 10, 7 out of 10, maybe, depending on the day. But yeah, well, that's how I feel about it. Heard how they felt about it. If you have any thoughts about a French festival tour, whether it's your own, if you're planning on going around whenever they manage to come back, or if you just want to hear anything else about our French festival tour, if you want the, the long document that we made, just listing out all of the French festivals we found, I don't think we got every single French festival in North America is mostly what we looked at. We didn't look towards the UK because that would have been a whole nother bunch of money for travel. Oh, yeah. I actually don't have a passport that can go to the UK either, but we don't have to talk about that. Feel free to hit us up as well. Of course, always hit us on our Twitter. Uh, if you have anything to say to us, anything to request of us. That is right, Michael. You can find us on Twitter at Imperium Podcast. That's I-M-P-E-R-I-U-M Podcast. Give us your feedback. Do you want to go on tour someday? Have you been a part of Fringe Festivals? Have you had an experience at Fringe Festivals that was rewarding to you? Do you think Fringe Festivals are important for the arts? Let us know. We'd, we'd love to have a conversation with you. All right. That will be all for us. Thank you for listening. And join us next week. We will be back talking about something.